All righty. Welcome back to the Speak Truth Sports Podcast. Uh, I am Bert and I'm joined by... Trey, as always. And today we got a lot of stuff to delve into, a lot of NFL and NBA news. Uh, just before we jump into everything, I do want to say if you're listening on YouTube, uh, please like, share, and subscribe. It really helps us grow. And if you're listening on any type of podcasting app, please rate us five stars, leave a review, follow us. Everything helps. Uh, we really need your support to get bigger. Uh, so we really appreciate that. Uh, but without further ado, let's just jump right into it. So we didn't have a podcast last week. Uh, and so we missed out on uh, a big trade, which is the Stafford for Jared Goff trade. Uh, so the Rams sent Jared Goff, two first round picks and a third round pick to Detroit for Matthew Stafford. Who won this trade? Um, I mean, I feel like it's kind of, even if it makes any sense. Yes, it felt like the Rams gave up a lot, but Matthew Stafford, he is a good to great quarterback. Like this is a quarterback that you would like to have on a team contending, trying to go for a Super Bowl run. Um, they got all the pieces they need on defense for most part. Um, they have a, a better receiving core, in my opinion, here in uh, LA. I mean, they have a good running back. I mean, Matthew Stafford, I don't think he's had too many thousand-yard rushing running backs behind him in Detroit. So this is a big change for him. Um, I mean, for me, I think I'll have to go – I don't know. I feel like slightly the rims. It depends. It really – this is one of those things that's, like, contingent. Like, I don't – I can't give it a grade until I see the full season yet, for me personally. But – how do you feel about this trade? Like, who do you think won in your opinion? Man, I think Matthew Stafford won this trade. <laughs> I, <laughs> I'm probably so happy to be out of Detroit. But I do want to say, I, I do think I'm on the side of, I think the Rams gave up a little bit too much. Uh, look, for the price of two, two firsts and a third, if you had slapped maybe two more second rounders in there, uh, you could have or maybe thrown in like Malcolm Brown or something. Maybe you could make a run at Deshaun Watson. You know, I, I know there's a lot of talk about their front office doesn't want to trade him. I think it's, I think it's bull jive. I think that, you know, they're just trying to build his value back up because he requested the trade. Uh, so I think that the Rams, you know, they might've maybe, they should have maybe targeted Deshaun Watson a little heavier with a, like a slightly better deal. Uh, but Matthew Stafford's a perfectly fine quarterback. My only concern about Matthew Stafford in LA is that, you know, is he going to bring some of his bad habits from Detroit over to LA? Uh, and can Sean McVay coach that out of him? Cause it's not like Matthew Stafford's had amazing coaches over in Detroit. He's had basically nothing. Well, he had at least one decent coach. I think Jim Codwell was a good coach for them. That's when they actually had winning seasons, but they fired him. Um, don't know why they fired him yeah. for actually Matt Patricia, who was horrible and didn't have as many wins as Codwell and think until his final season where he got fired. So yeah, um, he was, I don't, I mean, bad coaching. Yes. He had a lot of bad coaches. He had a, a decent coach in Jim Codwell, but McVay, I mean, this is a big change for him. Um, my thing is when it comes to the trade, I mean, Matthew Stafford was going to go for a first rounder regardless. The other first rounder was pretty much put in place to kind of, take on like since we're taking on Goff's awful contract we need another first round on compensation which makes it makes sense from the Lions standpoint but I think more on the Lions side with them going into full rebuild 
I do feel like Jared Goff is a good transitional quarterback. Now, he's not mm-hmm. great. He's not horrible. He's about average to above average, which is fine for, like, starting quarterback, I think. Um, and the Lions aren't spectacular in the first place. Um, but Jared Goff's only 26, you know? He's got a lot of a lot of area to improve. I feel like with this team, with this franchise in the rebuild and Jared Goff's getting a second chance, I feel like this would be a perfect opportunity for him to, like, you know, step it up. I mean, I feel like both the franchise and him have a chip on their shoulder going into this season. They got something to prove. And I feel like, you know, with a new coach, um, a new GM, you know, new quarterback, I feel like this is the turnaround that this team needs. Yeah, it very well could be. Uh, uh, I wouldn't say anyone really lost this trade. I just think that the Lions won a little bit more than the Rams did. But to be fair, uh, when talking about the Rams, they haven't had a first-round pick in all of Sean McVay's tenure. And they've been just fine. So, yeah. you know, and also first-round picks, they're not guaranteed hits. You're not always going to land every first-rounder. So, you know, this could actually end up being a much better move for the Rams in the future. We have to see how the season starts, obviously. Yeah, one more thing I want to say about the trade before I guess you go into the next thing. I think them getting golf is actually good for them not trying to draft a quarterback in the first round. Now they can, like, put this uh, draft pick to maybe a receiver since, you know, Kenny Galladay and Marvin Jones are out the door, essentially. I think they can get, like, a Jamari Chase or Devontae Smith with the seventh pick. So I think this would be, like, better for them than drafting a quarterback in the first round. Yeah, I agree on that. Uh, I also do want to bring up that, I mean, there was a lot of beef between Jared Goff and Sean McVay. We talked about a few weeks back how there was tension. And, you know, when Goff got to Detroit, one of the first things he said was, like, it's nice to be in a place where I feel appreciated. So, Big shot. (laughs) So they kind of had to trade him. That's because I I assume there's a lot more going on behind the scenes that we have no, we can't even fathom right now. yeah, they definitely had to trade him, I think. And, you know, for Stafford, it's a pretty decent deal. Uh, but this is interesting because I, this deal kind of sets the market for Carson Wentz and even for Deshaun Watson. Because mm-hmm. if Matthew Stafford's going for two firsts and a third, man, Deshaun Watson's going to go for a first, three firsts, two seconds. <laughs> like, he's in the, and Carson Wentz, I know they, they uh, the Eagles talked about how they want a – Stafford-like package for him, which I'm not sure if they're going to get. But you know, this is a this is a market-setting trade. Mm-hmm. I mean, I heard some things about the Wentz trade. I heard uh, about a Wentz trade rumor, I should say. Uh, I know there was one trade rumor they were saying that they they might trade Wentz to the Bears for. I think it was a first rounder, Tariq Cohen and Nick Folds, but. There's there's multiple draft pack uh, trade packages. I've heard about the rumors. I heard they might trade with the Colts. They try they might trade with um, a couple other teams. I think the Texans also were one per, uh, one team they were also thinking about potentially having trade talks with. Um, I don't think Wentz to the Texans or Deshaun Watson to the Eagles would be good for either one of them. Um, I, that's like a little side note, but like I just feel like it is a very interesting. It's going to be very interesting from here on out. Because a lot of trade packages are going to be a lot heftier than they should be. Uh, I know at one point, I think the Texans said they wanted to trade for two first-rounders, two second-rounders, and then two defensive starters just for Watson. So the Matthew Stafford trade really did a lot of damage. And a lot of teams got to 
overcompensate, in my opinion, for a lot of these quarterbacks. Yeah, you'd have to imagine that price goes up. Uh, but yeah, you know, to me, it just kind of seems like the NFL is kind of becoming more like the NBA in terms of like trades and just player empowerment. Uh, like Deshaun Watson is, he's kind of setting a, he's setting a path for unhappy players to get out of their situations right now. He's kind of leading the charge. He's setting the precedent, the precedent for, for future uh, players that are unhappy with the teams that want to leave by doing what he's doing. And he's a mega star. This isn't just some random, you know, random safety on the bills or something. This is the quarterback, a top five quarterback in the league. So you know, this is, it's going to be very interesting to see where the NFL heads, like the direction it heads down. Uh, I know the NBA is in a big, the NBA is so strange because right now I I believe half the teams in the league don't own their first round pick for like the next two or three years. Yeah. That could end up happening. That could end up happening with the NFL as well. Eventually if enough stars keep asking out and people keep getting trades. Uh, But yeah, that's, that's about all I have to say. You got any final words? I mean, honestly, power to the players. I mean, I kind of, I mean, a lot of people do complain about it. I know Brett Favre made his comments about the Sean Watson situation, but like for me, power to the players. I mean, I feel like they should have a right to where they want to go rather than sending them where they, the last place they want to be at. So, you know, I, I have nothing but love for the players. Um, he's not doing it in a disrespectful way either. I mean, the, they literally got rid of all his pieces and all that stuff. So it, the frustration makes sense for Watson's situation. So I'm, I'm all for it. I'm all for it. Totally agree. Uh, GameStop, please sponsor us. Power of the players. <laughs> uh, anyways, let's jump to a little, a little, a little tidbit of information. Uh, so, Dak Dak Prescott followed the Washington football team on Instagram. Did you see this? I did not see this. No, I didn't. <laughs> oh. Uh, well, uh, I am kind of bringing this up a little preemptively, but uh, is. You know, there's been reports about Dallas not being tied to Dak Prescott. How do you feel about that? Do you think that they should keep him? Will he be a Cowboy next year? Um, if this team wants to win uh, and this team prioritizes a winning culture, I think they would want to keep Dak on a long deal, a uh, long-term contract, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, this team was once the NFC East champion, a couple times when Dak was playing and then now they're a struggling team in the NFC East. Um, they were awful. And when first, when Dak first went out, they were awful, absolutely atrocious. Um, when you see that receiving core they have of CeeDee Lamb, Mari Cooper, Michael Gallup, it's absolutely phenomenal when Dak plays. That's probably arguably one of the best receiving cores in NFL, NFL when Dak is playing. Um, you know, C.D. Lamb's numbers significantly dropped after Dak got injured. Um, I think his last 100, the 100-yard receiving game was actually against the Giants when Dak got injured. That's the last time he had over 100 yards receiving. Um, C.D. Lamb came out the gate, you know, looking really sharp and really good. Like, I was impressed by C.D. Lamb. Um, but I just feel like without Dak Prescott, that team is – a team is just another team. Um, if you remember earlier in the season, before his injuries, when he played, they averaged 36.1 points per game, which was first in NFL at the time. They averaged thir- uh, 371.2 uh, passing yards per game, which was also first at the time when he was playing. And then he, they averaged 488 um, total 
couple yards per game, which was first also in the NFL when Dak was playing. Um, obviously, all those numbers dropped since Dak got injured. Um, you know, as a starter, Dak was 42-7. and seven. I mean, it just makes so much sense to keep him. I mean, he's coming off an injury. He gives his heart and soul to that team every single time he plays. To let him go or put him on a franchise tag is so disrespectful at this point. I mean, if if Jerry Jones, which I don't think he knows what's going on half the time, if he knew what was best, no offense to Jerry Jones, but he's just frustrating. Um, if he knew what was best, he would keep Dak another year. He'll keep Dak for more than just another year. I mean... A lot of he can come back from an ankle injury and play well again. I believe in Dak. He's a he's a great player. Even though I'm a Washington you know, football team fan, I like Dak. So when you said that he started following, you know, the Washington football team, that kind of warms my heart a little bit. We'll get into that later. But Dak's a great player. I think he should get a long term deal. If he doesn't, I would not be surprised if he leaves. Yeah. So he also did unfollow them once people started noticing. So. Oh. <laughs> I, I, there's a little, there's a little something there, but you know, in my opinion, I completely agree with you. Uh, but the only thing I see holding up the Cowboys is money. Uh, Dak, Dak definitely values himself higher than Jerry Jones does. And it's so strange that Jerry Jones is kind of willing to break the bank on Ezekiel Elliott and Amari Cooper, but not his star quarterback. Uh, it's just strange. I mean, I don't, you know, I think if Dak does come back, they have to they have to let go or trade Ezekiel Elliott or Amari Cooper. They have to pick one and just let him go, because like that's almost sixty million for like three players, I believe, or fifty or sixty million for three. That's that's a that's a recipe for a bad roster. Uh, yeah, you're right. Their only option, if they want to compete, their only option is Dak at quarterback right now. Uh, they could draft a quarterback and hope for a diamond in the rough like Dak was, but that's just such a swing. Uh, I'm not sure if they really want to take that risk. Uh, but you know what? I'm a little, I'm going to say Dak's not going to be a cowboy next year. I'm going to say that. I think that some, I think something will happen behind the scenes. I think they'll let him go. Something will happen. Uh, I, I think Dak will not be a cowboy next year. If he is, I won't be surprised though. All right, let's jump. Let's go ahead and jump to, Something a little controversial. Uh, so the NFL award <laughs> ceremony happened and everybody got their awards and all that. Uh, most people who won were kind of expected. Uh, but there was one person who kind of shocked a lot of people, even shocked me when I first heard it. But uh, Aaron Donald won Defensive Player of the Year. Did TJ Watt get robbed? Because that's the big story right now. Because J.J. Watt, J.J. Watt uh, put out a tweet that said, quote, Aaron Donald is an absolutely incredible player. I love watching him play, and he's headed to the Hall of Fame without a question. This has nothing to do with Donald personally. This is me saying what my brother won't. T.J. played one less game and still led the NFL in every major category. And he posted a chart of the statistics of T.J. Watt and Aaron Donald. And TJ Watt has 12 more tackles. He has about two more sacks. He has about 12 more tackles for loss, 13 more pressures, almost double the quarterback hits. He's losing to Aaron Donald in forced fumbles, two to four, but he's beating out Aaron Donald in pass deflections, which is seven to one, and interceptions, one to zero. So 
Did did TJ Watt get robbed? You know, I was surprised when I first saw the the announcement as well. I was shocked. I, you know, my my person was Xavier Howard. I understand that he did. I understand why he didn't get it. I I was more understanding like if TJ Watt got it, but obviously Aaron Donald, you know, he won. Uh, at first, I was shocked. I'm not gonna lie. But then I started looking more into it and I got a lot more context behind why Aaron Donald won. And, you know, I, I don't think TJ Watt was robbed anymore. At first I did when I, you know, just looked at the stats because I saw, um, I think you sent me that uh, tweet from Watt or I saw it somewhere, but I, I, I looked at the numbers and I was like, man, statistically like Watt had a, a better year. But then I realized, Watt didn't have to do as much as Donald did, if that makes any sense. Um, yeah. I was looking at some... Watt's numbers, you're right. I, I, I do kind of agree with you on this. Watt's numbers are from an edge rushing. He's an edge rusher. And Aaron Donald is on the line. Now, sometimes, yeah, he, gets, sometimes, he, gets, sometimes he gets put out on the outside, but that's only occasionally. But for the most part, Aaron Donald got these numbers on the line, on the interior. Yeah. My thing is both these guys are respective leaders on top five defenses. Um, I mean, they both led their defenses to where they are right now. Um, you know, I'm not going to discredit either one of them in that aspect, but I was looking up some things and I found out that Aaron Donald is double teamed around 70% of the, of the snaps he plays. Um, in 2019, he was double team 65%. 2020, he was uh, doubled 70.5%. And TJ Watt is one of the least, I mean, on as an edge rusher, edge, edge, edge rusher. Oh my gosh. Edge rusher. Excuse me. There you go. Long day. A little long day. Uh, TJ Watt is one of the least double teamed edge rushers. Um, JJ Watt actually was the most double teamed on off the edge. Um, and then, you know, even on his team, like he wasn't the most double teamed. It was actually Bud Dupree who was. Uh, Bud Dupree's getting double teamed was, um, which led to Watt getting so much, you know, off the edge because, you know, for him, he, uh, he won most of his pass rushes according to next gen stats. Uh, but at the same time, like I said, he was already one of the least uh, double teamed in that aspect. Um, and when D uh, Bud Dupree went down in week 13, um, the team's pass rushes, the team at the pass rush actually got, got worse. Um, when he went out, the team averaged less than three sacks per game, which when he's healthy, that team has never went under three sacks per game. Um, and then I also saw that the decrease in QB hits from TJ Watt after Bud Dupree went out he combined for four QB hits from week 14 to 16. Cause obviously week 17, he didn't play because that was when they all, all the starters pretty much sat out. Um, but to get some context in week eight alone, he had five QB hits against the Ravens. So, you know, I'm seeing it all. And it's like, like TJ Watt, he had a great season, but Aaron Donald with context, had a much better season. I mean, because Aaron Donald, another thing I forgot to mention, 
as an interior lineman, Aaron Donald was the most double teamed, obviously. 70% is unreal. But he also was the most winningest, you know, interior lineman when it came to his pass rushes. So when you put all that together and you watch him play, it's it's unreal. Like if you watch the film, the dude is a monster. He do got triple team in the playoffs against the Seahawks. And they still end up getting a sack on Russell Wilson. Like the guy is unreal. So for me, yes, statistically, he had his season wasn't as impressive, but with context, when you see it all like as a whole, I always keep telling people, stats tell half the story. You have to watch the games. You have to watch the film. Aaron Donald, as crazy as it seemed like, Aaron Donald definitely, it, for me, it just, Aaron Donald definitely was a defensive player of the year. Amen. Yeah, uh, I totally agree. When I first heard it, I was actually like, legitimately shocked because I was because Aaron Donald really wasn't much in the discussion uh you know everywhere it was just kind of everyone was saying you know it's between TJ Watt and Xavier Howard uh but you know Aaron Donald just kind of snuck in and he did actually have the sneaky sneaky better uh better season uh TJ Watt I still wish he had won it uh just because I I want him to get one of those under his belt but you know Aaron, you can't say Aaron Donald didn't deserve it, and you can't really say T.J. Watt got robbed, in my opinion. Yeah, I agree. I mean, they're both great players, but you got to think of it like this way. T.J. Watt is a generational talent. You know, that's a, that's a really – that's a big compliment. But Aaron Donald is probably one of the best defensive linemen we've seen ever to play the game. Like, it's just – it's just – he's just – steps above TJ um you know I love the TJ Watt he'll get it eventually I know he will he's a great player but you know Aaron Donald he got it this year and for me it was I wouldn't say there's no debate but it makes sense it definitely makes sense yeah I mean every year at this point it just feels like it's Aaron Donald's award to lose <laughs> yeah <laughs> like, I agree but he's just so by far he is the best defender uh in the NFL at least on the line uh but let's Okay, let's go ahead and just jump to the <laughs> Super Bowl review. So Super Bowl, I believe, was 55, right? Yes, Super Bowl 55. Super Bowl 55 just happened uh, as, of, as of when we're recording this a couple days ago. Uh, I got a lot to say, so why don't you go ahead and say some stuff as well? Uh, what, what, I'll just – I'll get – for me, um, when I first watched the game – I was kind of biased. Uh, obviously, I thought the Chiefs were going to win. I was feeling the Chiefs. You know, I was rocking with the Chiefs. Um, at first, when I watched the game, I was saying, uh, I really thought the officiating was bad because um, the Chiefs had, I think, 95 yards, eight penalties and 95 yards. And and I think the Bucks only had, like, one or two penalties, a couple penalties in the first half. And I was like, man, this is really, like, bias, you know, because Tampa is playing at home pretty much. And it was essentially a home game for them. And which was the first time in NFL history where a team can play at their home stadium. Um, but then I really started, I watched back at the penalties. The penalties they called, they weren't bad calls, you know. Most were reasonable. Most were reasonable, truthfully. Um, but honestly, I mean, the Chiefs had opportunities to win regardless. The second half, they didn't get that many penalties. Um, they had a, a, a great chance to come back in the second half, but for me, the Bucks defense, they, they won that game. That defense was absolutely unreal. 
Um, they said there was a stat saying that Patrick Mahomes ran uh, nearly 500 yards to avoid the pass rush, which was the most by any quarterback this season. Um, he was also the most pressured quarterback in NFL history um, in a Super Bowl game as he was pressured 29 of his 56 dropbacks. Um, you know, not having those, like I mentioned in the previous podcast, you know, missing those tackles, you know, Eric Fisher and Swartz, that was going to make the difference. If the Bucks were able to get pressure, which they definitely did, that was like their whole game plan was to pressure them, uh, pressure the quarterback, which obviously worked. Um, I just thought that that can make the big difference, and it did make the difference. And for me, I felt like Mahomes, as bad as his stats look, he did everything he could. If you watch that game, that man is jumping and throwing, running around the pocket, took some nasty hits. Um, he was sacked twice, but he did everything he could. I just think, for me, the receivers did not step up that game. If anything, it kind of they kind of went so far backwards that I didn't even expect that. I, I didn't expect that from the receivers whatsoever. Um, There's a lot of bad route running, a lot of drop balls. You know, there was literally a time where he threw the, like a touchdown to the lineman on one of those little trick plays, and they, he caught it, literally hit him right in the helmet, and just dude punched it right out. Tyreek Hill, uh, Darrell Williams, I think Pringle also had a lot of dropped balls. So it didn't help, you know. I mean, even that one play where Mahomes ran out the pocket and was nearly falling down through the pass, it literally hit the player right in the hand and just dropped it. Um, you know, people say it was one of the greatest incompletions in NFL history. Uh, it was it was really impressive, but um, to me, it just I felt like the team really let down Mahomes. Um, the defense didn't do much either to help out Mahomes and uh, as well. Um, there is one more thing I had to really say. Everyone always kept talking about who had the better weapons, Tampa or the Chiefs. And people got this made me kind of realize, this game made me realize that outside of Tyreek Hill and Kelsey, they can definitely improve on weapons. As great as those two are, they can definitely get more the better receivers. Sammy Watkins is I think he's decent. He's decent to good. Um, but they can do a, have a better receiver on the other side of Tyreek Hill. They can have a better, you know, another tight end to help out Travis Kelsey. They can have, they can still improve, which is crazy because that team is already really good, but that team can still improve. Um, but the Buccaneers just had the better pieces from Mike Evans to Chris Godwin to Antonio Brown to Leonard Fournette to Ronald Jones. Like, he just can keep going and going, Cameron Bray, Gronkowski. I mean, what can I say? I mean, the better team won. Yeah, I, I want to jump to what you said real quick about the Chiefs. They could get better. You know what I think really hurt them in this game? I think uh, I think they really made a mistake letting Le'Veon Bell split snaps with Clyde edwards Lair for the for most of the season. Uh, if you know, I think Clyde because they barely even really used Bell in the game. A lot of times they kind of use him to block, but they they barely really ran with him. Uh, I just feel like Clyde could have used a little bit more of that experience. Uh, and if he was, he had the confidence of a full lead back, it uh, would have just been better for the team. Uh, but you're right. I mean, the Bucks are just, they were such a well put together team. They were absolutely stacked. Um, and yeah, so my notes on this is that, you know, the Bucks, you're right. The Bucks defense was incredible. It was absolutely phenomenal. 
Uh, they didn't give them anything short. They didn't let them get any dump off passes. They didn't let them get anything deep, which is where the, the Chiefs excel. Mm-hmm. Uh, a lot of their, you know, uh, between the numbers passes, a lot of their mid-range passes are to Travis Kelsey. And so they doubled him at certain times and they took away that option. And so once that safety net was taken away from Mahomes, he didn't have anybody to go to that he felt confident throwing to. Um, I do want to say, you know, Mahomes' offensive line really did fail him. That was a lot due to injury. But I want to say you got to keep the same energy. Everybody out there, <laughs> everybody out there who's hating on Russell Wilson, Lamar Jackson, Aaron Rodgers, you got to look at the O lines in the game. <laughs> if their O line's not performing, how can you expect the quarterback to perform? The O-line is literally the most important position on offense. The quarterback is too, but you can have a great quarterback behind a horrible line and you will not go anywhere. We've seen it time and time again. Deshaun Watson's dealing with that right now. He's been dealing with that for most of his career. Uh, Yeah, if if you're going to cut Mahomes slack anybody out there if you're cutting Mahomes slack you gotta cut Lamar Jackson some slack and Rogers some slack and Russell Wilson some slack all right that's, that's all I had to say there but Tom Brady I mean he played a fantastic game you can't ask for much more from Tom Brady he's he's the GOAT undisputed straight up I I you can't really make an argument against him right now those seven rings are man he's, he's almost got enough to get all rings on two hands. He might become the Bill Russell of the NFL. Uh, And the, just the game plan by the Bucks defensive coordinator, Todd Bowles was just absolutely fantastic. It just, you know, when you watch the game, you always felt like somebody who was, or you always felt like whoever Mahomes is going to throw to was somehow doubled or covered completely. It just felt so suffocating. I can't imagine being Mahomes and playing in a situation that I mean, being able to really get a, a clean thrown ball off. And we had talked about this, uh, I believe in one of our first few podcasts, Mahomes is used to throwing to open receivers. He's not really used to making those tight throws and his receivers aren't used to catching tight throws. They had the, Mahomes had the highest completion percentage to open receivers, or he's had the highest percentage of open receivers in the league by far that in the season. And that also really hurt them. Uh, because the receivers were not used to making those tight catches. Mahomes wasn't exactly used to throwing them, even though he did hit him right in the hands for the most part. Uh, it was just, you know, there's a, there's a lot, there's a lot going on in this game. Uh, and Shaq Barrett, Jason Pierre-Paul and Devin White looked, I mean, they feasted, they feasted. They were incredible in this game. They, they all three of them leapt off the screen. Even if you weren't really a football fan, I'm sure somebody noticed like, yo, that guy's really like getting at the quarterback right now. Um, and so I do, you know, I want to preface everything I'm about to say with, I'm not a Tom Brady hater. I'm not a Buccaneers hater. I'm not a Chiefs fan. In fact, I bet on the Bucks. All right. I made, I made a clean 150. All right. <laughs> so, so, you know, I'm not saying anything bad about Tom Brady's legacy or his career or anything. He deserves every ring he's gotten. You can't take that away from him, but I feel bad for the chiefs fans because that first half was so horribly officiated. 
It was legitimately ridiculous. Let me get into let me get into some of these calls. All right. The, the, just the calls that I saw were egregious. There were other calls that were called as well. Uh, and, you know, in the end, I'm not really sure if it would have made a difference just because the Chiefs offense was just so locked down. I don't think it would have made a difference, honestly. Uh, it just sucked to watch because every time I watched, I wasn't a fan of either team, but I was getting angry at these calls. Like what? Like that's not a call that you should be making in a normal football game, let alone the Super Bowl. Uh, so there were two really bad pass interference calls. One of them was with 13 seconds left in the first half, where the ball was just simply not catchable, even if nothing had even if nothing had happened to I believe it was Mike Evans. Yeah. Oh, I know exactly which one you're yeah. talking about. Yeah. It should have been it should have been an illegal contact penalty, if anything, or illegal touching, or whatever that um, penalty is called. It should have been that. Uh, but instead, it places them from the nine-yard line right to the one-yard line and gives them a free touchdown right there, right before the half, uh, which really sucked for the Chiefs. And, it, you know, it kind of put the game out of reach a little bit. Uh, there was another one against Bashad Breland where Mike Evans straight up flopped. There's no way around it. Go look up the video of the Bashad Breland pass interference. This is what happens. Bashad Breland is running. I'm going to use my fingers a little uh, stick figure, guys. So Bashad Breland is literally running like this. Or sorry, Mike Evans is running ahead of Bashad Breland like this. And then Mike Evans, or sorry, Bashad Breland, his foot while he's running slightly makes contact right here with the back of his foot. And this causes him to trip. While he's tripping, his hand goes and slides down the towel, the towel of Mike Evans. And then Mike Evans kind of throws himself to the ground and he flops. And they call that a pass. That's not a pass interference in football. I'm sorry. As long as I've been watching football, I've never seen a pass interference call be that bad. It was just horrendous. Uh, there were two soft holding calls. They were holding to an extent. But in a normal football game, they don't call those. They let those guys play on. Uh I don't want to get into those too much, but one of them was on an interception by Tier Matthew. And that could have really changed the momentum of the game. Cause I believe at that point it was seven to three. Uh, the chiefs could have maybe done something, but you know, and then the other one was one of the first penalties they called in the game. Uh, this is something that's really, that's just straight baffling to me. The neutral zone infraction that they called with six minutes to go in the second, it was so bad. Tony Romo couldn't even point out where the, where the penalty occurred. He was looking, he was like, well, I think the refs are meaning here, but uh, they called it over here on this, on these, on these guys. Just like I said, just go back and watch, just try and sit and listen with an open mind go back and watch those penalties. I'm talking to everybody else, go back and watch those penalties. And Tony Romo himself is confused legitimately where the neutral zone infraction is. And when you watch it's the same thing. They're all basically lined up the same. I don't really see a neutral zone infraction for them. Uh, you know, it, and that was on a field goal, which would have made it 10 to three, but it ended up bringing them closer to a touchdown uh, later on that drive. And it made it 14 to three. So I think that was a big call that the refs really, really just choked on. Uh, and there was a random unnecessary roughness call. I mean, if you're going to, you know, if you're going to call that kind of unnecessary roughness call, you know, there were a couple of Bucks players that kind of did the same. So, uh, 
you know, it, it was just, it's just so strange about how like consistent they were. It's like the refs made the call. Then afterwards they realized, you know, we should probably just let them play out. We probably shouldn't just call that all the time. And that flag was just so late. Like the, it was already like 20 seconds after it had happened already, 15 to 20 seconds after it had occurred, uh, which is also a little bit ridiculous. And then this is another thing. This penalty didn't matter in the long run at all, uh, but the refs didn't call Tom Brady for unsportsmanlike conduct. You know what I'm talking about, right? When he was talking to Matthew? Yes. So yeah. Matthew, first, Matthew first said some words to him. And all right, I love trash talk. All right. I like seeing trash talk. But as a referee, if you're going to call somebody unsportsmanlike conduct for trash talking, you got to call both parties. You can't just call one because Tom Brady literally walked right up to him, speed walked straight to him. He was speed walking like the, the little grannies on the sidewalk and outside. And he walked straight up to him and just confronted him and yelled in his face and then walked away. You're telling me that why does Tyrion Matthew, why is he the only one to get the unsportsmanlike conduct? That didn't make any sense to me. Uh, the referees, I just, they need to be consistent with our calls. Uh, the officiating was legitimately horrendous in the first half. The second half was much better, uh, but just that first half was so rough and it really dug the Chiefs into a hole that uh, to some people might be climbable. To some people who, you know, have watched Chief games in the past, they've climbed out of bigger deficits. But, you know, with how good the Bucks defense was, it was basically unclimbable. It was, they dug them into an unclimbable hole. And, it, I just feel bad for the Chiefs fans. I feel bad for the Chiefs faithful, but, you know, they still have an, a fantastic team that can run it back next year. You know, it's not like they're, it's not like this was their one shot to win it. Now nah, they, they've already won one and they can win another one next year. You know, they have the talent for it. Uh, but there was just so many, you know, a lot of those calls were also on third down, which just killed the Chiefs defense's morale. Cause it's like, well, we got, we got three stops in a row and then penalty. Ugh. Now we got to go back. Now we got to do it again. You know, it just, it killed the morale for the Chiefs defense, obviously. And yeah, I, I, I wouldn't say that the Super Bowl was insanely entertaining, uh, but, you know, it wasn't as bad as the Rams Patriots. So, you know, I will forever appreciate any Super Bowl that is not as bad as the Rams Patriots. So, <laughs> yeah, I agree. Um, I mean, I really agree. That's I, I kind of that's how I when I initially watched the game. That's how I exactly exactly how I felt pretty much. Like I felt like the penalty calls were a little off. I felt like they were super like the the infraction uh, neutral exact neutral neutral zone infraction one. I that one was really like because literally even like I I know exact like what you're talking about when Tony Romo circled the player, he circled the wrong player. Literally nobody moved in the line. I mean, honestly, it, it was. That was very questionable. That was probably one of the most, if not the most questionable call they made in the first half, in my personal opinion. Yeah. Um, for me, I, I mean, but I don't want to always be that guy, like the officiating kind of changed the game because like you said, the second half, they didn't call as many penalties. The Chiefs had opportunities. They could have, you know, they could have done more. Um, I just feel like, ultimately it came down on Mahomes supporting cast just not playing up to par and yeah. you know a lot of credit goes to the Bucks defense I don't want to take any credit away from them if I was able to give an MVP to a whole part of the team I would give the MVP straight up to the defense like as great as Brady played you play a clean cut game no interceptions three touchdowns you know 200 plus yards he was very accurate 
but like the defense consistently put him in good spot, like consistently, you know, held that. They kept keeping the Chiefs defense on the field because they kept stopping the Chiefs offense consistently, consistently. They kept getting pressure on Mahomes. They kept, you know, they were just, they did everything right. And my thing is when you see the regular season stats for the Buccaneers defense, it doesn't tell the story or how like well they play at all compared to the postseason. The postseason Buccaneers defense was absolutely phenomenal. You know, it doesn't even seem like they were the same defensive players from the regular season. That's how well they played in the postseason. Like they really stepped it up when it really mattered most. Um, and one more interesting fact I should say, I didn't know this until I saw this on Instagram or something, but they said every single point scored by the Buccaneers and Super Bowl were by new newly acquired players. Brady, yeah. Gronk, A B, Fournette, and Ryan Suckup. So I didn't know that. That was actually really interesting to me. Uh, for me, the Super Bowl was it was it wasn't as good as last year's. Chiefs versus Fortnite was much more competitive, enjoyable. Um, it was a great game. This year's it was a slight, it was a blowout. I mean, like you said, it was better than the Rams Patriots, but like compared to some of the other ones we've seen in recent years, it was just it was mediocre to average, I'd say. Yeah. And I just I also just want to preface one more time. Brady deserves all these rings. He I'm not saying that the refs were rigging it for him. I'm not saying that uh, you know, that they were that Tom Brady has the refs in his pocket. I'm just saying I'm putting the blame on the refs. I don't want to put any blame on Tom Brady or his legacy. Tom Brady can't control what the referees call. So I, I put the blame on the refs for just how horribly officiated this game was in the first half. Uh, but yeah, yeah, overall, not too exciting of a Super Bowl, but it was nice to see Brady. It's just, it's crazy to see Brady still out here getting rings. It's just, man, it's just, it's insane. Uh, yeah, then they might try to run it back because Mike Evans, there are reports that Mike Evans will take a pay cut to, you know, keep some of the other players there. So if they really try to run it back, I think Brady's on a two-year deal. I wouldn't be surprised to see them come back with that same squad and try to do some damage again. So I, I hope we don't get another Chiefs versus Buccaneers rematch. I kind of like something a little different um, personally. But, hey, you know, whoever the best team is, I'm just ready to see it. Hey, uh, and the Bucks are going to be actually a little bit more dangerous next year because uh, not only does Tom Brady get stronger with age, apparently, uh, Antoine Winnefield Jr. and Tristan Wirfs are both rookies who started this year on the defensive line, offensive line, and they're only going to get better. And so that pass rush is only going to get scarier, and that uh, offensive line is only going to get tougher to crack. So it's just, you know, they have a very good chance of winning the winning the NFC again, and I would probably put them as the favorite to win it. Yeah. Well, we'll see what the Rams have to say about that. Um, we'll see what some other teams have to say about that. But, I mean, right now they are the favorites. I will give you that at the moment. But um, there right. is one more one, – just one, one, one more thing. Go. I don't think this – even though as great as Brady is, I don't think this win over Mahomes eliminates Mahomes from ever being the GOAT. Mahomes is so young. There's so, there's so much That's left to his career. I was watching. I'm not gonna say the show or call about or anything like that. But I, I, I was watching some 
some sports media, you know, shows and stuff like that. And they were saying, oh, Mahomes is no, no longer going to ever be the GOAT. Like, it's over. He's so young. If this man went on to win eight more eight more Super Bowls, you got to tell me, oh, this man's not the GOAT because he lost to the 43-year-old Tom Brady for his seventh rank. Like, it's just not over. He's so young. There's so much left in Mahomes' career. I just want to get out of the way because that was a, that was really bothering me when I was, you know, watching all that stuff the past few days. But, you know, a great one on Brady's part. He's the GOAT at the moment, but still a lot left to Mahomes' career. I mean, look, Mahomes has been has been starting for, like, what, four years now, about? Mm-hmm. No, well, was three, four, yeah. Three or four. He, actually, I think it's been three, and he's made the Super Bowl two of the three years he started. So he's yeah. already off to a fantastic start. And, look, if Tom Brady's the GOAT at seven and I believe it's four, right? He's lost four Seven and three. Seven three. Seven three. You know, even the GOAT loses a, a few Super Bowls. So, you know, it's not like just because he had this one loss. It doesn't mean Patrick Mahomes. If he goes on to get 10 or 11 rings, you can't just say he's eliminated from the GOAT discussion because Tom Brady beat him and he had no <laughs> offensive line and no weapons to throw to. Like, you can't just it's, – it's, it's a very dumb argument to make. I don't like that argument from the media. I think that was just – you know, they're just trying to get clicks. You know how it is. Yeah, I know how it is. All right, let's finally jump over to the NBA. So All-Star Weekend is coming up, and we'll get into that in a second. But right before we discuss that, uh, we had a big trade. Well, kind of big. Uh, Derrick Rose got sent to the Knicks again. Uh, the Knicks sent Dennis Smith Jr. and a second-round pick to the Pistons for Derrick Rose. How do you feel about this? Oh man, I'm I'm so happy for Dennis Smith Jr. Uh, I really am. I, I truly am. You know, Dennis Smith Jr. once averaged 15.2 points per game, 3.8 rebounds per game, 5.2 assists per game, and one steal. That was in his rookie year. He got second uh, second team All Rookie. You know, the dude's only 23. He has so much like talent and so much youth left. I mean, my thing is, I, I always felt bad for Dennis Smith Jr. because. He was good with his rookie year and all that, um, but he was got outshined by a generational talent, Luka Dantich, sent him over to New York. New York didn't really know what to do with him, kind of sent him to the doghouse. He requested to actually play in the G League before he got traded, and then the Knicks were going to do, um, uh, I'll give him, you know, agree to that request, but, you know, luckily, God bless, they sent him over to the Pistons, which they need a point guard. With Killian Hayes injured um, for a while, you know, I, I really hope to see – oh, well, I think we'll see Dennis Smith Jr. play soon. Um, that that team needs some depth in the backcourt. Um, no offense to DeLon Wright. You know, he's doing a fairly okay, decent – I mean, the Pistons are like five and like 17, 18. So, you know, take that as a will. They're not a very good team. I think they're actually the worst team in the NBA now uh, record-wise. But you know, I'm just I'm just glad for Dennis Smith. Um, I really hope to see him kind of elevate his game back to where we used to see it. You know, like I said, he's still so young. He still has a lot of time to grow. Um, I'm just happy for him. Um, I'm really I, I like that part of the trade. Like yeah, the as happy as you are for Dennis Smith, I'm as happy for Derrick Rose. I mean, he finally gets to leave the Pistons and gets to you know. The Knicks are in a weird spot. They're kind of sniffing the playoffs right now. They're, they're like, 
they're like a shark in the water, like smelling blood. And they get a single whiff of that like playoff smell. And they're like, yo, we need to make moves right now. Like we need to get the playoffs. So they just immediately pushed for Derrick Rose and it's not a bad deal. I mean, you know, I, I think that it's funny that Derrick Rose is going back to the Knicks. Uh, they were one of the first teams to take a chance on him after uh, Chicago basically gave up on him. Uh, and yeah, I, I feel bad for Dennis Smith Jr. I just, it, you know, it hasn't helped his confidence at all. He's, but he's been traded, I think, every year he's been in the league. He's been traded to a different team. So, you know, that doesn't really help a young guy's confidence. Not playing him much doesn't really help his confidence, but He's going to get minutes on this Detroit Pistons team. Killian Hayes hasn't really been super impressive so far. We'll get into that on another podcast, although we'll make it a little rookie report card. Uh, Killian Hayes hasn't been super impressive, and he's injured. He's out for the season, I believe. So Dennis Smith Jr. is going to have a big opportunity to step up. This is his moment to step up and show what he can do. I don't, you know, I don't think he's going to take this lightly. I think he's really going to work at it. Uh, and just what you, what you just told me earlier is he requested they go to the G League you know, he knows he needs minutes. He knows he needs reps. He's still working hard at it. He's not slacking. He's not giving up. So I really respect that from Dennis Smith, uh, Dennis Smith Jr. And, you know, it's not a bad trade for either side. I just hope that Derrick Rose doesn't stunt Emmanuel Quickly's, Quickly's development. Because Quickly's, okay. Quickly's doing really, really good over there in New York right now. Yeah, that's what I was going to get to next. Uh, I was going to say, I was afraid, when I first saw the trade, I was afraid for that. But then I kind of saw it in a different way. I felt like Rose was more of a transitional piece. Like, you know, while quickly still developing, they'll play Rose to kind of help mentor him. Um, little did I know until I did some research, they both actually played for Coach Cal when Derrick Rose was at Memphis and obviously when Quickly was at uh, Kentucky. So they both have that slight connection. So they, they, you know, they know how the game works because they were brought up by two, like one great coach in Coach Cal. Um, and I saw a report that Rose already sat down and talked with rookies Obi Toppin and quickly, and he pretty much told them, "Hey, I'm just here essentially to help you guys and help you guys grow as players." Um, so I think Rose is just pretty much the mentor to help kind of elevate quickly's game if he can um you know um my thing is with rose being there now backcourt is kind of crowded with quickly rose and elford payton i see elford payton probably getting the boot uh, eventually because i know he's gonna want minutes i always feel like he kind of wants minutes um but he's not really producing as much as quickly is i feel like when it comes to Elter elford payton he kind of disappears and then has one really, you know, good game and then disappears for a couple more games. Um, so, you know, Derek Rose, this was a good trade for him, like you said. Um, you know, also just mentioning some stats when he was last in New York to kind of get some context. He averaged 18 points per game, 4.4 assists, 3.8 rebounds, 147% shooting. And um, he also played 64 games that season, which is a lot for him. Um, Tom Thibodeau always gets the most out of Rose, in my personal opinion. So, I mean, I, I we'll see. I think he'll be a good – I think as a transitional piece, if they keep him at that role, I think this is a really good trade for the Knicks, in my opinion. Yeah, I agree. Uh, just, you know, I like that he's trying to be a mentor to the young guys. Um, I saw a clip of Obi Toppin demanding an alley-oop for like 10 minutes and they didn't, they didn't give him a <laughs> Look, but I'm sure Derrick Rose will help a little bit on that. Uh, I just I love Derrick Rose kind of sliding into this mentorship role as he gets older. 
and to be honest, my only concern is with Tom Thibodeau is like, is he going to play Rose into the ground again and just make quick, is he, I feel like he might, you know, go back to playing Rose like 30 minutes a game and then make quickly play like maybe like 10 as like a backup. Uh, but that's my only concern. It's nothing to do with Derek Rose himself taking over. It's to do with Tom Thibodeau and how he plays. But yeah, I, this is a solid trade for both teams. I got nothing really much else to say. Yeah, I agree. I mean, you know, we'll have to see how – I want to see if Dennis Smith Jr. can pretty much take back the reins and try to get back to where he used to be as a rookie and as a sophomore and just kind of see if he can try to develop. Because I feel like what comes with Pistons, they're such a bad team. I'm just going to let them play, essentially. Yeah. Um, and they're not really playing for anything. So, you know, maybe he'll ball out when he has the opportunity. Maybe if he can – I mean, I know he's saying getting traded is not really good. I don't really see the Pistons having much building blocks. Maybe if he plays well enough, he can find himself getting traded elsewhere for uh, to a better team where he can actually do more damage and actually help that team win. But you know, you know, we'll have to see. We'll have to see what comes the uh, comes in the next few weeks. All right. So the All Star Weekend is steadily approaching. It's going to happen in a couple of weeks, actually, I believe. Uh, and so. All-Star voting is now happening. It's a thing. And I think it's almost coming to a close, but we're going to go ahead and give you guys our All-Star starters and our reserves for the year. Uh, this is just our opinion. So take that with a grain of salt. If someone, if your favorite player is not on here, sorry, make your own list. <laughs> uh, so I'll kick it off. Let's start with the East. So for the starters, I'm going to have, you know, the classic, I'm going to have Joel Embiid, Giannis, and KD for the front court. And the back court, I have Bradley Beal, and I have Jalen Brown. Mm, yeah. I, I didn't expect the Jalen Brown one. That's, that was, I didn't yeah. expect that one. All right, for my starters, are you going to go to name, your – Name your starters, right. and we'll talk about it. All right, my starters were – my starters literally based off pretty much the votes – uh, I've seen pretty much. Um, and I feel like that was kind of accurate for me. So it was Joel Embiid, Giannis, uh, Kevin Durant, Bradley Beal in the backcourt, and Kyrie Irving. Mm-hmm. So I, I kind of went by the numbers and, you know. Yeah. But for I, me, I felt like that was kind of – I, I think Jalen Brown's just having such an underrated season. I mean, he's he's – right now I think he's the best defender on the Celtics. And he's taking on the toughest defensive assignments every night and still putting up 26, 5, and 3. Uh, Kyrie is also playing absolutely phenomenal. He's putting up 27, 4, and 5. I believe this is one of the highest points per game he's averaged in his entire career. So um, Kyrie's having an absolutely fantastic season. The only reason I don't put, have him as a starter is because he's missed 30% of the Nets games so far this season. And I just feel like Jalen Brown, because he's been there for the entire season, he should get the nod. Uh but I do, spoiler alert, I do have Kyrie still in the in the actual reserve. So uh, I'm just going to rattle off some quick stats. So Bradley Beal's averaging 33 points, five rebounds, and four assists. Kevin Durant's averaging 29 points, seven rebounds, five assists. Giannis is averaging 27 points, 11 rebounds, five assists. Joel Embiid is averaging 29 points, 10 rebounds, two assists. And all these guys, for the most part, are no-brainers. Uh, and like I said earlier, Kyrie's averaging 27, four and five. So a lot of these guys are just straight up no brainers for starters. Uh, we start to get into some questionable territory in the reserves. So 
uh, you know, why don't you go ahead and kick it off with your reserves first? Because I, I think mine's going to be very, very surprising. All right. So mine was Jason Tatum, uh, James Harden, Zach Levine, Jalen Brown, oh, okay. Sabonis, Julius Randle. I, I need him there. Okay, and okay. Trey Young. I, I didn't want to have Trey Young there, but he's well, having a good season, so I felt like I, I'll let it slide. I'm not a big Trey Young fan. If, if anyone remembers, I'm just not a big fan of his game, but I got to give credit where credit is due. He's having a good season, so I'll give him that last reserve spot. Man, you – you. Dang, you really went off the deep end there, man. I did not expect that. Uh, wow. Yeah, yeah. I um, A lot of those guys are in my honorable mentions, man. They didn't even make my all-star list. That's crazy. Really? For yeah, the yeah. East? Yeah, yeah. All right, all right. Well, let me go ahead and name my reserves. So I have Kyrie. I have James Harden. Jason Tatum. Those are the obvious ones. DeMontis Sabonis, I think, is also kind of a no-brainer. Yeah, I agree with that. I have Bam Adebayo. I have Chris Middleton, and I Middle- have Tra- oh, oh, I forgot about Middleton. <laughs> oh, but I mean Middleton, I'm not the craziest about, but he's having a good season too. Sorry, hey, who's the last person? I don't, I don't blame you because while I was making this list, I straight up forgot about Middleton. I actually, instead of Middleton, I believe here I did have Julius Randle, or I believe I think it was Colin. No, no, it was between Julius Randle and. Zach Levine for that final spot. But once I remembered Chris Middleton, which is so funny because he's having such a good season, but nobody can, you know, nobody even really remembers his impact. (laughs) Just from a, just from a, you know, casually looking over all the rosters and stuff like that, it kind of hits you all at once. You're like, Oh my God, wait a minute. Chris Middleton's really good. I completely forgot about him. Uh, But Chris Middleton's averaging 20 points, six rebounds, five assists, and he's shooting 50% 50% from the field, 40% from three, and 90% from the free throw line. So he's having a 50, 40, 90 season. One of the most efficient players in the league. I couldn't not give him a spot here. It just, I couldn't. Uh, and Trey Young is averaging 26, four, and nine. Bam Adebayo is averaging 20, nine, and five. Uh, DeMontis Sabonis ha- is averaging 21, 11, and five. Tatum's averaging 27, seven, and four. And James Harden's averaging 24, six and 11. So, you know, there's a lot of, I do want to get into a lot of the honorable mentions, but go ahead and uh, tell me, tell me why you exactly got uh, Zach Levine and some other people in there. Uh, Go over your list one more time. I want to hear it again. All right. My list is Tatum, Harden, Levine, Brown, Sabonis, Julius Randle, Trey Young. Okay. Now, I want, I want to go Julius into Randall. To Julius Randle first. Julius Randle is an absolute bucket this year, okay? This man is averaging 22.7 points per game, 11 rebounds, and six assists. He's probably the main reason why the Knicks are as good as they are. And, you know, people were doubting him on the Knicks. Everyone kind of like, oh, Julius Randle won't ever really take a step. Like, he's a ball hog. He doesn't pass. He just, you know, gets a rebound, goes out, tries to shoot his own shot, you know, um, but he's just, he's such a good, like for me, he's such a good player. Like he's averaging, you know, so much on the, everyone thought this team was gonna be like a, just a bad team, but like Julius Reno stepped up, he's getting triple doubles. He's actually passing the ball and dishing it out. You know, he's still a good rebounder, even for like a six, eight power forward. I mean, for me, he's kind of, I mean, 
he's one of the best. I think he's a breakout, one of the best players this season. He's a breakout player this year. Um, I'm really, I'm really enjoying his game. He's kind of letting it come to him naturally compared to most other years. Um, you know, I, I, I think that he, for me, I think it just makes sense to have him in there compared to, um, no offense to Bam. I, I, as much as I enjoy Bam's game and as good as Bam is, you know, I, I like the way Randall's been playing this, this season. Um, I think overall as a player, I think Bam's a better player, but this season at this moment, I'm taking Julius Randall in the all-star game. Now when we're building teams. It's a different thing. I'll take Bam over Julius, but I'm talking about all-star game. I'm taking Julius for an all-star I game. Want, I want Iguodala. <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, for real, uh, I, I put Bam there just because he's he's anchoring that entire Miami defense. I feel like he's just kind of doing more for Miami uh, than Julius Randle was. But Julius Randle, like I said, if Chris Middleton just didn't exist, if he was just kind of wiped off the face of the earth, I hope he's not. But if he just didn't exist, yeah. I would definitely have Julius Randle in this spot, in my opinion. Uh, it's obviously between him and Zach Levine. Uh, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll let you have an audible right here. If you want to, if you want to go ahead and slap Chris Milton instead of anybody in your, in your reserves, would you do it? And I would who? take out Trey Young. I told wow. you I'm not a big Trey Young fan. I, I think efficiently, see, I think Milton's more efficient than Young. Young is one of the worst defenders in the league, uh, by defensive efficiency. Mm-hmm. Um, like I said, I'm not a big fan of this game. Um, you know, I, I don't like that little, like, I'm, I've never been a big fan of people just kind of, for me, it kind of feels like he just chucks up shots at times. Um, he's a good passer, flat, a little bit too flashy at times, but he's a good passer. Um, you sound like you know, Steve right now, man. <laughs> <laughs> but I just, I just don't think he's doing, he's not blowing me away with his game at the moment. Um, you know, the Hawks are still, they're still okay team. Um Nothing great, but I feel like Middleton and Giannis is like that's like a one-two punch. You get hit in the inside by Giannis, kick it out to Middleton, he's splashing, you know, 50, 40, 90. That's that's impressive. That's that's elite. Um, so for me, I would take if I could, I would put him over. I put Middleton over Trey Young. But if you want me to still explain my Zach Levine, I can. Go ahead, go ahead. Zach Levine, I mean. If we're just going off just stats-wise, I mean, Bill's going to be most likely a starter based off voting. For me, Zach Levine's putting up nearly identical stats with 27, 5, and 5. So for me, it's like, even though he's not on the most winningest team, neither is Bill. Bill's on, I think, sec- like the second worst team in the NBA record-wise. Um, Zach Levine, I mean, yeah, they, the Bulls did just lose to the Wizards yesterday, too. The Wizards. And Zach um, Levine missed a game winner, a wide, kind of a wide open <laughs> game winner. He beat Bradley Beal right at the three point line. It was wide open to the basket, but he missed it. I mean, I'm not going to get on individual games, but I just think that Zach Levine, he's been doing so scoring wise, the game comes to him so naturally. And he's just gotten better and better as a score in Chicago. Um, obviously, I don't want to get on the aspect of the whole team because the, they do need more help around Levine. Um, but we're talking about the individual player themselves. I, I think he's playing well enough to where I think he deserves some recognition. I think he deserves to be an all, uh, all-star this year. I mean, he's shooting 50%, you know, that's, that's – and then he's shooting – I mean, scoring 27 points per game. 
that's efficient if you ask me. Like you're shooting 50% and scoring 27 points. It's, you're playing pretty well. So I, I feel like for me, Levine, he's just he's just got for me, he's got it this year. So I, I would have him as an all-star. And yeah. I think last year he got snubbed as well, too. So Yeah, Levine's just, you know, he's a product of what happened to Bradley Beal last year, just playing really good on a bad team. And people are like, well, he's only playing that good because he's on a bad team. No, Zach Levine is actually very, very good. Uh, and he would be very, very good on a very, very good team. Uh, he's getting, I mean, he's getting most of the attention from the offense every night and he's still dropping 27. Like that's, that was the same argument I had for Beal last year, why he should have made it last year. Um, he was getting the full intention of the defense and he was still averaging 30 and now he's averaging 30 again, 33. Actually, he's get, he actually gotten better uh, from last year, even though the team got worse, but that's a different story. <laughs> it's a different story. I do want to say, I, I don't want to move on without mentioning some of the honorable mentions. One of them is Jimmy Butler. So Jimmy Butler is, you know, typically he's somebody that you would, you would put into the all-star as a no brainer because he is an all-star level player. He's a very, very good player in this league. He's a star. But this season, he's just something, you know, between injuries and COVID, he's just not playing great. Simple as that. He's averaging 18, 6, and 6, which are all right. Uh, But he's shooting 44% from the field, and he's actually shooting 0% from three. He hasn't hit a single three this season. He has not hit a single three this season. So, you know, I love Jimmy Butler as a person and as a player, but, you know, I left him out of this list because of the injuries, because of COVID, you know, all that stuff just culminated in these numbers for Jimmy Butler, which, you know, they will get better after the all-star break. I I, no doubt about that. And even just next year, I do think Jimmy Butler will be back as an all-star. I also want to bring up some other honorable mentions, Julius Randle, Colin Sexton, uh, I had Zach Levine in there. Gordon Hayward's actually been playing very, very well as well. Uh, so those are my honorable mentions for the East. Yeah, my honorable mentions are like the same people, honestly. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm, I'm, you know, I was, it's yeah. kind of how I feel too. So I really, I didn't really have like an honorable mention like list, but like mm-hmm. every every person you said is pretty much like, yeah, I can see that as well. Um, and also just for Jimmy Butler, I just feel like I haven't seen enough of Jimmy Butler to say. He should be all-star here. I feel like how many games he has not played, like, I don't think he's played over 10 games. I believe he's only yet. played like nine so far. Yeah, so it's just not enough for me yet um, to really get behind Jimmy Butler, you know. So I agree. All right, so let's jump to the West. Uh, I think, you know, once again, I have one person in here that other people probably aren't putting in here, but I do think he deserves it. So for the backcourt, I have Steph Curry and Donovan Mitchell. And for the front court, I have LeBron James, uh, Kawhi Leonard, and Nikola Jokic for the starters. So for me, I have Curry for the starter as point guard. I have Luka Doncic, mm-hmm. um, then Kawhi, LeBron, and Jokic. So it was about the same thing, except I switched out my shooting guard. I'm surprised you chose Mitchell um, for the starting. I have him on my team. Spoiler alert, I have him on my all-star roster but not as a starter so why do you why do you feel that he should start I just he's being so underrated right now in my opinion I think that you know everybody's if you just look at the votes he's pretty far down the list I think he's like seven or whatever I think he deserves to be way higher in the fan votes 
Donovan Mitchell, he's, I mean, he's leading the team that's, I believe they have one of the best records in the league right now, uh, if not the best. Uh, but, you know, Donovan Mitchell is leading a very, very good West team right now. I think he deserves a nod. I think he deserves a starter nod. Uh, Luca, I was very, I was considering giving it to him, but, you know, a couple of his, you know, three point percentage hasn't been great this year and his team just isn't performing up to par. He hasn't really elevated them to the level that you'd expect uh, this year so far. Obviously without him, they would be like, like bottom tier, absolutely bottom tier. But, you know, as of right now, as of recording this, I believe the Mavericks are like the 13th seed out West. That's just pretty bad so far. But I do want to say the West in general is just an absolute, it's a bloodbath. I mean, literally, I believe that if the Suns drop two or three games, they could drop as low as the as the 12th or the 14th seed. Like that's how close it is from about four to 14 it is in is insanely tight it's a very tight race uh and like donovan mitchell just you know he's he's a part of that top three in the west that if he even if he drops a couple of games he's not going to drop to 14 so that's why i kind of put donovan mitchell in there i want to reward uh the work he's put in this offseason uh and i want to reward the his team for winning yeah, they actually still currently have the best record in the NBA. So a lot of credit does go to Mitchell because he really is – he is the leading charge of that team, and he's kind of the heart and soul of that team. And they're on a four-game win streak, and it pretty much would not have done that without Mitchell. So I actually I, – I can see where you're coming from there, and I actually – I wouldn't have, wouldn't mind if they would switch – I wouldn't mind if they switch Dantich to the, reserve, the bench reserves. Yeah. I don't think McDonald Mitchell is going to get it though because of the fan vote taking up 30% and him being so low on the fan vote. I don't think he's going to make it, but uh, just to throw out some numbers really quick. So Steph Curry is averaging 29, five and six. He's a monster. Donovan Mitchell is averaging 23, four and five. Luka Doncic is averaging 27, eight and nine. So his numbers are better than Donovan Mitchell. So I understand why you didn't put him up there. Mm-hmm. Ron's averaging 25, seven and seven. Uh, being a beast as usual. Kawhi is averaging 26, 6, and 5. And Nicole Jokic is averaging 27, 11, and 8. Mm, that's some MVP numbers. <laughs> All right. We'll get into that on another podcast as well. <laughs> uh, do you have anything else to say about Luca? Or I mean, there was this one report recently where I think Zach Lowe said that all Luca does is whine and stuff like that. Um, I, I don't like that narrative. I mean, Luca, he does take some hits in the paint. I, I, I like Luca. He's a good player. You know, he's pretty much the driving force of that Mavericks team. Like you said, they would be a low-tier team if he was literally not on that team. So, you know, I got to give credit where credit is due for Luca. You know, he's trying his best, you know. Um Wiskel hasn't been the healthiest. What's his name? Kristaps. Uh, poor, yeah, Kristaps Porzingis hasn't been the healthiest either. So, you know, I, I give props for credit, uh, props to Luca for trying his best and credit where credit is due. Luca's trying his best. He's putting up as much as he can. So, you know, even though his numbers drop from the three point percentage, you know, he's got to take those threes because it seems like no one else will. Uh, so, you know, that's why Luca. He's still my. He's still my yeah. All Star starter. I, I hate that that whining narrative that's such a i think it's just a really dumb narrative uh every player in the nba whines and if you if you expect a player who's 
at that level who is extremely passionate for the game, if you expect them, if you, if you expect everybody to play like Kawhi Leonard, I don't know what to tell you. Like, I've been watching basketball like my whole life, and I've always I've seen players that uh, are even more quote unquote whiny than Luka Doncic. That nobody, that everyone's just like, oh, they're tough. Like, I don't know. It's it's a very it's a very strange line. I don't I don't like that. That's even that Zach Lowe's even kind of trying to start that narrative. That's, I think it's absolutely. I think it's that's that's out of out of um, out of pocket, straight up. Yeah. Uh, Let's go ahead and jump to the West Reserves. Uh, I'll kick it off with, I have Luca, I have Damian Lillard, Paul George, Anthony Davis, Christian Wood, and then I have Devin Booker, and this last spot I debated for so long. <laughs> but eventually I, I, I eventually I just gave it to Brandon Ingram. Really? Yeah. Really? Okay. I was it was between him and one player and it was it was racking my mind so so bad, but eventually I just I don't know, I just threw Brandon Baron Brandon Ingram had slightly better stats, so I just threw him in there. Ah, kinda, I I want I'm trying to figure out who the other player is, but I'll I'll read my reserves off. Go ahead. Um so my reserves are obviously A D, Damian Lillard, Paul George, John Morant. I, I'm I'm feeling John this, this season. He's 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 balling. Um, Donovan Mitchell, Christian Wood, and Zion Williamson. I'm I'm falling a little bit into the hype. He's he's not bad. He's really he's really good actually. Um, Not the most impressive shooter at all, not at all. But like I'm starting to rock with Zion. I'm starting to see where the hype is starting to culminate from. Uh, I still think that the team can still do better. I feel like he can still do more, but. yeah, that's my reserves. <laughs> okay, I was deliberating between Brandon Ingram, actually, and DeMar DeRozan. And the reason I wanted to put DeMar is just because the Spurs are somehow in the playoff race again. And I feel like DeMar deserves a lot of credit. You know, he is kind of the de facto leader of the team. Uh, that's why I kind of wanted to put DeMar DeRozan. He's also being a little overlooked right now. But it's very interesting that you have John Morant in there. Uh, he's in my honorable mentions, but, you know, I think personally, I, I would have put even De'Aaron Fox above John Morant this year, in my opinion. Uh, really? I, yeah, let me rattle off some stats real quick from some of the dudes I picked. Uh, so Damian Lord's averaging 29, 4, and 7. Paul George is averaging 24, 6, and 5. AD is averaging 22, 8, and 3. Christian Woods averaging 22, 10, and 1. Devin Booker's averaging 23, 3, and 4. Brandon Ingram's averaging 24, 5, and 4. So uh, why don't you go ahead and tell me, why did you put Zion ahead of Brandon Ingram? Because they, they do have very similar stats. Their stats are they pretty do. What, I just feel what like... Push? What gave you that push? I just feel like, for me, seeing it kind of from a, a more media-based way, I kind of felt like, for all-star game if i want to watch it for entertainment because that's all it really is it's kind of an entertainment kind of like thing um i just feel like zion would be very entertaining to watch in that kind of aspect um the fans are definitely more on zion's side than brennan ingram i think ingram is a more skilled player i personally think he has a uh, you know more of an arsenal compared to williamson at the moment um 
But Zion, you know, a lot of credit where credit is due. He's, you know, he's shooting nearly 60%, averaging 23 points, 7.2 rebounds, like about three assists almost. I mean, he's balling out. He's doing what he can. Um, The Pelicans, like I said, they still need some work. And I feel like Zion can still do better from his uh, standpoint. But, like, from an entertainment standpoint, if I really want to watch an all-star game with all these great players, I want to put Zion in there. I, I got to see him with the big stars. I, we saw Ingram as an all-star last year. I want to see Zion as an all-star this year. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, that's – yeah, I, I can't hate on the Zion for all-star pick. There's just so many good talent. There's so much good talent in the West. Uh, even my honorable mentions sound like an all-star reserve in their own. Let me let me go ahead and grab <laughs> some of them off. My honorable mentions is Zion Williamson, Chris Paul, C.J. McCollum, who I would have put in if he didn't get injured. Uh, Rudy Gobert, Jamal Murray, DeMar DeRozan, and De'Aaron Fox, and John Morant. Uh, but I do want to say, I don't be surprised if Chris Paul makes that final slot instead of like Zion or Brandon Ingram. Because Chris Paul is actually averaging better numbers than he, than he did last year, and his team is at the four seed. And you know coaches like to give it to players who are on winning teams when the coaches pick. So, you know, depending on who the coaches pick, I could see Chris Paul sliding in there instead of one of these other guys. And then a big like snub debate happening. Uh, wait, uh, could you, could you actually, you had somebody else in there that I was kind of questioning who could you run back? It here? was John, John Maron. Oh, yes, yes, yes. Yeah. So why- I'm a big, I'm a big fan of this game. I didn't realize that they slipped out the playoffs. They were in the playoff picture at one point. Jaw was, um, but obviously when he got injured, they did kind of drop a couple games. He hasn't really, I mean, when he came back and started playing, uh, again, he was impressive. Yeah. He didn't have the greatest numbers. He's averaging 18.5 to 7.4 assists. Um, but I mean, jaw, his, jaw, his, he's, his, his impact goes he's, beyond those numbers. Yeah. He is, the, he is the, the leader of that team. Uh, when that team when they play as well as they do is because Jaws playing well. John Marat is he's so talented. Um, you know, for me, whenever, like I say, like you said, his, his, his effect of the game is bigger than the numbers. Um, so for me, I kind of think that like when I watched him play, like when you watched them play last season, no one thought that Grizzlies was going to be even near the playoffs or sniff the playoffs, but he pushed that team to be nearly a playoff team. They lost, I think, in the play-in tournament, if I recall correctly. And then this year, I mean, right now, I think they're currently the 11th seed, but they're 9-10. and 10. If they win, like, two more games, they can literally get back into the playoffs. That's how close the playoffs is in the West, which is going to what you were saying earlier. Um, but I just feel like Jamara, I mean, he's such a – he's a talented player, a young, talented player. Um, people think he's, like, a, the next Russell Westbrook. I don't know if I'm going to say all that. I think he might – he's a better shot than Russell at the he's moment. More like, he's more like the next – he's like he's like a slower John Wall, in my opinion. I can, I can see that as well. I can see that as like well. John Wall without as much speed. I can see that. I just, I like the way he's playing at the moment. You know, I, like, I know he's not playing on the best team and he's not playing with the greatest numbers, but, like, he's such an impact player. Like, when he's on the floor, that team is significantly better. So – I think for me, that's why he was one of my all-stars, to be honest. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I really like 
John Morant. And, and I didn't put too much stock into the records. That's ultimately why I kept DeRozan out of the, out of my reserves. I didn't put too, too much stock into the records uh, from like four to about 14. I didn't put too much stock into the, um, into what the record was of their team. Because like I said, if the four seed at this point loses a couple games, they're possibly, you know, out of the playoff picture entirely, which is ridiculous. That's how tight it is and how packed it is. So I didn't, you know, I didn't put too much stock into it. That's why I kind of put Brandon Ingram in there. And I just feel like, you know, Brandon Ingram is, I feel like he's the leader of the Pelicans. Uh, They're kind of co-leading with Zion and Brandon Ingram, but, you know, Ingram's been doing it before Zion even got there. All right. So (laughs) I just, how I see them, uh sorry, you were saying something before you, I didn't mean to cut you off, you were saying, how I see them lead, the way they lead, they kind of lead, like, they don't lead by like, by like actually like being a, like a leader. They kind of lead by like talent more so. So I, that's my biggest gripe with the Pelicans at the moment. I feel like there's no legitimate leader. Yes, Ingram and Zion lead by, oh, scoring, rebounding. We lead by, you yeah. know, our actions. But they're not really kind of moving pieces around. They need, like, a veteran presence. Or they need just somebody to, like, take the reins and really start leading on the, on the floor and on the court. Okay. Um, like a, but that's a whole different thing. <laughs> like a vocal leader. Yeah, I got you. I got yeah. You. Well, um, that's all. That's all I've got. Uh, those were our all-star predictions and all that, and that's it for the show. So, uh, thank you everybody once again for tuning into the Speech to the Sports podcast. Um, if you enjoy weekly sports content and a roundup of the weekly news and discussion, just go ahead and click that subscribe button. If you're on YouTube, you know you. That's exactly what we do. And uh, if you are listening on any type of podcasting app, follow us, rate us, review us. All that jazz, it helps us out a lot. Uh, we'll, we'll be back every week with the roundup of the news for the week, uh, the sports news. And yeah, uh, with that, uh, I've been Bert. Trey, as always. And we will catch you guys next time on the Speak Truth Sports Podcast. <laughs>